I failed to mention uh, Nicole and the girls are traveling. They've headed back to Memphis. If you would, can keep them in your prayers. Uh, hopefully they'll be able to return on Saturday. Tonight we have Brother Jeff Johnson with us, his good wife Sherry. Their youngest daughter, Emma, is with us uh, also. And uh, Jeff comes to us from uh, the Tri-City School of Preaching where he is an instructor. And really, if if you need to find out what's going on or you need a little help, you need to call Jeff. And that's what I do. Sometimes I call Wesley just to make him feel good about himself and Eddie. But, you know, if you want to get down to business, you need to call Jeff. Jeff spent a long time at the Urban Congregation prior to going to uh, the Tri-City School of Preaching. And I was fortunate to have met him about 10 years ago. In '09, we were over uh, with the school. And uh, in my last year at the school, and we had a campaign. And we spent about a week over there with the brethren in uh, the beautiful town of Irwin. And so we got to know Jeff and the elders there. And Brother Curtis Cates held the meeting. So it was a wonderful week for all of us involved. But Jeff has come to us. And we appreciate the good work that he does, the uh, support that he receives from his wife and his family. That's always a, a huge necessity if the work is going to be accomplished well. So we're glad that he... Uh, Agreed to come and be with us tonight, and tonight, Brother Jeff's topic is, I am blessed because I hunger and thirst. Come speak to us, brother. Let me say this before we get into our lesson. I'm very thankful, my whole family is very thankful for this congregation, because right out of Memphis School of Preaching, we, uh, I took the work at the Lake Hills Church of Christ here in Chattanooga in 2005 and six, And when we left Chattanooga, well, J.C. Watkins was a great inspiration and encourager, and so was this congregation too. Now, some of you may remember me now. I don't know. Uh, maybe not, but uh, I do remember some of your faces. And we really appreciate what you do uh, for us, what you did for us then, and also what you do for us now. And from me and my family, too, let me say thank you for the support that you send to us while we labor there at the Tri-City School Preaching. This congregation means a lot to us, and we've always held you in high regard. Now, our lesson tonight, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. You know, looking for righteousness. What, is, what does people look for when they, when they hunger for something, when they are thirsty? You know, looking for righteousness will, which will meet their spiritual poverty. You know, sometimes when people are down, when they feel as if they've hit rock bottom, the best thing to do is start looking up. And going to the right place when we hunger and thirst, we don't want to be there anymore in that position that we're in. We want to long to get out of that position and head in the right direction. But what do you do? You know, to hunger and thirst suggests not a half-hearted search, but one that is even exemplified by David as he wrote in Psalm verse forty-two, uh, Psalm forty-two, verse one and two, where he says, "I long for you, Lord, because I trust in you, Lord. I long for you. I trust in you." Even that of what Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians three seven through fifteen, and I want to read that for just a moment. Listen to what he says in Philippians 3, 7 through 15. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I counted all things but loss 
for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made comfortable unto his death, conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were I already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus, brethren, I count it not, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing that I do, forgetting those things which I, which are behind and reaching forth into those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as being perfect, be thus minded, and if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Notice that. Let us th- let's be thus minded. What of what, Paul? Pressing toward the mark for the prize of Christ Jesus, the high calling of God. How do you do that? You first got a hunger and you got a thirst. You got to want it and you got to move forward. You got to keep pressing toward the mark to receive a prize. You're certain the benefits of the kingdom outweigh anything this world has to offer or any persecution that it might even inflict. But the blessedness of the citizens is only for those who have the characteristics of the citizens in the ever-increasing measure. So let's begin by asking this question. Do we? Do we hunger and thirst Like we should. I want to go on and continue this lesson by entitling it, like putting this title in here by thinking about digging a well. When my grandfather, when I was young, my grandfather, when uh, my dad and my grandfather began to build our house, our first house, I remember this as if it was yesterday. I can see them doing this. As they were going out and they were picking the property and the spot to build the house, they first thought, well, we're going to have to find a place that has water. And my grandfather went and got this stick. And he started, it looked like a regular type of stick. I found out later on it had to be a certain type of wood. And it had like a little V and it was long. And and, and he was walking around doing this. And I thought, my grandfather's lost his mind. He, This man's out there finding water with a stick. But you know what? He found it. He came to the spot and he said, water's right there. And they began to dig and guess what they found? Water. And guess what they made out of it? A well. That was some of the best spring water I ever had in my life. Found by a stick. And I thought, this is amazing. It, it just blew my mind. It, you know, I thought, I'm not going to tell anybody this because nobody's going to believe me. But you can do that. But he found that water, and they dug that well, and it was some of the best water ever. Because when you were out playing and out in the woods, running around all day in the creeks, and you come home, you think, boy, I want a good cold glass of water. It satisfied your thirst. Now, to illustrate 
a simple yet important fact of life. You cannot wait until you are thirsty to start digging your well. If you do, you will likely die of thirst before you find or get any water that you need. You must prepare ahead of time before the need even arises. You know, as we read through the Bible, parallels to the Christian life were clearly evident. There are times of spiritual thirst. And if we wait until such times come up or they arise to dig our wells, we may be too late. We need to be digging our wells now. We need to be hunger, have a hunger, and we need to be thirsting after the righteousness of God Almighty. So are you digging your well before you're thirsty? Maybe it would help if we understood or even be reminded of some things. First of all, we need to find out and realize the need for wells. The need to be thirsty. One of the things, one of those things is that there's a day of judgment coming. There is a day of judgment coming in which the world will be judged. Acts 17, 30 and 31, notice what it, it says. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in the which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men in that he hath raised him from the dead. Now, some people would say, now look at there, God overlooked sin. Oh, no, God didn't. The pastor says it was the times of ignorance God winked at. God does not overlook sin. And boy, don't we have a world full of sin today. We look out to our world, and it's just totally corrupt. Did you know that in our nation, in certain school systems in our nation, in the seventh grade now, they are teaching the LBGTQ history. I didn't know they had a history. I didn't know that. Now, when it comes to LBGTQ movement, I'm sure all of us would, would support that. If the L stood for liberty, if the G stood for guns, if the B stood for Bible, if the T stood for Trump, and the Q stood for barbecue, all of us would support that. All of us would. But we live in a world that is corrupt. But brethren, listen, this world is going to be judged. And on the day of judgment, we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And we need to be digging our wells now in preparation of that day. In the which we will all stand before him. We read in Romans 14, 10 and 12, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10 says, For we all, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or whether it be bad. We're all going to be there. And we will answer for the things that we have done that were good and the things that we are done, whether they be bad. A day of salvation for some 
condemnation for others. Some will hear the good news. Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of thy father's kingdom. Some will not hear those words. But Lord, haven't we done so many great things in your name? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. I do not know you. Now, it would be too late to begin digging wells if we are spiritually thirsty on that day. Because when that day comes, it's too late. There are a need for wells and a need to be thirsty for righteousness because of a times of temptation. The Christian life is just fraught with temptation. It's all around us. We're tempted all over us. No matter where we go, temptation is going to be there. Because of our adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour, Second Peter five, I mean first Peter five, verse eight. You know, the devil doesn't want the sinner. He already has a sinner. He wants the Christian. And will do anything possible that we can reach for that temptation when it's there and grab the fruit of that and just heap on that. And therefore, he's got us. We're gone because of our fleshly desires. James put it like this. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And we have heard this before. Well, my sin is not hurting anybody but me. That's the lie the devil wants you to believe. Your sin hurts everybody and affects everyone that is around you. Your brethren, your family. It, it affects everyone around you. But we are drawn away by our own lust and enticed. You know, temptation should not be taken lightly. Because we can become hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Hebrews 3, 12 and 13, it tells us this. Take heed, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God, but exhort one another daily. How are you going to help each other not fall? By exhorting one another daily. While it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You know, we might fall away during the time of temptation. Luke 8, verse 13, he says this, they on, the rock, they, uh, they on the rock are they, which, when they hear, receive the word with joy. And these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, fall away. Did you know that when a weeping willow tree, when the winds become very high, maybe in a storm, that the roots of a weeping willow tree will actually dig down deeper? wonder why. It might be that the roots are strong enough to keep it from toppling over. Do you know why some Christians fall away when temptation arises? Their roots are not dug deep enough. Because they have not and will not continue to hunger and thirst after righteousness. So therefore temptation should not be taken lightly. So do we have wells to quench our spiritual thirst when we are tempted? You see there are a need of wells. Because of periods of struggle, tribulation, trials. You know the Christian life is not always easy. It's not. God didn't promise us that it would always be easy. As Jesus even warned his apostles in John 16, 33, John 
16.33 says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace in the world. Ye shall have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. He didn't promise us rainbows and roses. But in this world, there's going to be trouble. Even as Paul warned the disciples in Acts 14, 21, 22, says, And when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystria and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to do what? To continue in the faith. And that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. You know what happened to Paul one time? He was beaten to the point of almost death. Matter of fact, they thought he was dead. And they drug him outside of the city and they left him out there just in the streets to die. They thought he was dead. But whenever he regained his consciousness, you know what he did? He didn't stand up and say, I ain't going back in there, boy. They about killed me. He went right back into the city and started to preach. You know, the trials or tribulations we face can be quite diverse. Some because we're just Christians. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, Paul told Timothy this. He said, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Peter put it this way. He said, if you're going to suffer, don't suffer as a murderer. Don't suffer as a thief. Don't suffer as a busybody in other men's matters. But if you're going to suffer, you suffer as a Christian. You suffer as a child of the living God. You do that. Don't suffer because people look at you as a thief or a murderer or a gossiper. Suffer because of who you are and what you stand for. Others may have trials because we share in the frailties of life. Sickness. Pain. Death. A few weeks ago, I got a phone call. My cousin, uh, her fiancé, had a heart attack, and he had died in the hospital. Fifty, probably mid-fifties. On the way home from the hospital, her daughter was on the way home from the hospital and was killed in a car wreck. Within three hours, she had lost her fiancé, and her daughter was 28 years old. Her grandson that was four was taken to the Nashville hospital where he had to have some of his intestines removed. Two weeks before that, her dad had died of a heart attack. She had called me and she said this. She says, is it okay to ask why? I said, it's perfectly okay to ask why. But don't you blame God. It's not his fault. At the funeral, her granddaughter was sitting in her lap and the whole time was screaming and pointing to the coffin, wanting her mama. And they asked, why? Is it okay to ask why? Job asked why. But he did not blame God. Why is that? Because we have the right attitude to hunger and to thirst after righteousness and to keep that quenched by ever striving to study. Sometimes we just have a loss of a job and war or natural calamities, whatever it might be, but Sometimes we share in all these things. We better have our wells dug in advance if we are going to survive spiritual droughts. 
And in the face of such droughts, what can we do? Well, dig your wells before you're thirsty. Digging our wells. Why? Well, we know what the need is, but why do we need to do this? Why digging our wells? Well, in preparation for the judgment. Remember what God has provided His Son as an atonement for sin. In 1 John 4, 9 and 10, it says this, And this was manifested, the love of God toward us, because that God sent His only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through Him. Herein is love, not that we love God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the perpetuation for our sins. Why do we need it? In preparation for the judgment, the good news of salvation to the whole world, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. Realize what we have to do. We have to respond to the gospel of grace. In Acts 2, 36-39, I mean, just some days prior, boy, when Jesus came into the city, they were, oh, here's our king, here's our king, here's our king. And then a few days after that, Crucify Him. Crucify Him. Crucify Him. And then Peter, standing up on the day of Pentecost, said, Men and brethren, ye by wicked hands have crucified the Son of God. You've done that. And then they shouted out as they were pricked in their heart, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Repent and be baptized, each and every one of you, for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. We need to remain faithful in our devotion and our service. Revelation 2, verse 10. Be thou faithful unto death and receive a crown of life. So have you begun digging your wells by obeying the gospel of Christ, preparing for that judgment day? Preparing for temptation when it comes your way? Remember what God has provided. He has provided His providence in times of temptation. He will not allow us to be tempted to be on which we are able 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. Who is able to work all things for our good. Romans 8, verse 28, 31 through 39 as well. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to His purpose. Now, Rich may, he might, uh, Rick may remember Clayton Winters when he was at Irwin. But Clayton, I loved his explanation of that verse there. He said, do you know what that means? When people have all these bad things happen to them and they ask that question, why? And you know what that passage means. He explained it like this. He says, how many in here would take a big old scoop of Crisco lard and just scoop it out with a spoon and start eating it? Well, ain't nobody going to do that. If you do, you're nuts, I think. Well, you get a big old scoop of Crisco and start eating it. He said, then how many would take a big old thing of flour and just throw it in your mouth and eat it by itself? unsalt and pepper and other ingredients that are just bad by themselves. He said, but you can take all those ingredients that are bad by themselves, put them all together and make a wonderful biscuit. Sometimes those bad things work out to be good. And we do, we know that because we are preparing for those times. We're preparing for the temptations. We're preparing for the judgment. We have our family. His family to support our efforts. Himself as our Father, 1 John 3, verse 1. You know, His children as our brothers and our sisters in Christ, 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. 
His Son as our advocate and our perpetuation. Who stands ready to assist us when we have sinned. 1 John 2, 1 and 2. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the perpetuation for our sins. And not for ours only, but for also for the sins of the whole world whose blood will cleanse us from all sins if we confess. 1 John 1, 7-9. But if we walk in the light, He is in the light. We have fellowship, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. We have to realize what we must do. Always pray. Pray. Pray that you enter not into temptation, as Jesus taught on the Sermon on the Mountain, Matthew 6, verse 13. And even as he told his disciples at Gethsemane in Matthew 26, 41, stay here and pray, but them boys want to take a nap. Stay here and pray. Strengthen our relationships with the members of our family. Communing with God in prayer always. Exhorting one another by being around each other. Repent and confess when we sin. Repent and confess to God. Even at times to one another. James 5, verse 16, confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. So are you digging your wells by continuing steadfastly in prayer, in the word, and in fellowship with the family of God? If so, you are preparing for these things. Preparing for those trials and those tribulations. Remember what God has provided? God has provided hope. God has provided hope to help us endure in times of trouble. A joyful hope that we might be patient in tribulations. Romans 12, verse 12, rejoice, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, and abounding hope empowered by the Almighty God. We need peace. Peace that only Christ can offer. A peace the world cannot provide. John 14, 27, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. How can we say that? Because we are ever striving and thirsting and quenching that thirst as we hunger and thirst for righteousness. One can guard our hearts and even our minds. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, listen to what Paul said. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God which passes all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Strength. When we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we'll find the peace, we'll have the strength found only in Christ that provides us with patience and long-suffering. Colossians 1, verse 11. By which we can do all things with a spirit of contentment. I want you to listen to what Paul said to the Philippians in Philippians 4, 10 through 13. Listen to this. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. Wherein ye were also careful, 
but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned, notice what he's learned, in whatsoever state I am, therewith be content. I know both how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Why is it that he could be content no matter what situation that he was in? He tells you right here, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Why is that? Because he ever stri- he was ever striving to fulfill that need and that hunger and that thirst. We need brethren to comfort us in our trials, who comfort us with the comfort they receive from God, who comfort us with the words of hope and even in encouragement. Realize what we must do. Focus our hope. We must focus our hope. Setting our minds on the grace of to be revealed, First Peter 1, verse 13, Peter said this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again unto a lively hope. How? By the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, benefiting from the patience and the comfort of the Scriptures. Romans 15, verse 4. We need to nurture that peace. How do we do that? Through fervent prayer. Through following Paul's admonition and even his example, he said this, Finally, brethren, farewell. Be perfect. Be of good comfort. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace shall be with you. We need to develop that strength. Through asking for it, as Paul did for the Ephesians, Ephesians 3, verse 16. Even by putting on the whole armor of God. That we might be able to stand. And stand therefore. And stand firm. Ephesians 6. Verse 10 and following. Build our network of brethren. Serving each other. Ministering to each other. Hebrews 6. 10 and 12. By the which will. We are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Once for all. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifice which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. Assembling together, exhorting one another, loving one another. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. So in what condition are your wells pertaining to hope? What condition are your wells pertaining to your peace? What condition are your wells pertaining to strength? What condition are your wells pertaining to your brethren? Now, if you pay close attention, you will notice that the wells have already been dug. The wells have already been dug. They're there. The wells of salvation that have been provided by by God Almighty. Isaiah 12, 1, 2, and 3. Offering the water of life. Revelation 22, verse 16 and 17. Let him drink of the water of life freely. God offers the wells necessary to quench our thirst in the times of a spiritual drought. 
So what is our task then? It may be similar to that of Isaac's. The wells of his father Abraham had been stopped up by the Philistines, Genesis 26, verse 15. But if you go down to verse 28, you find that he had to redig the wells for them to be of any use. So do we need to redig the wells of our Heavenly Father? Have we let the wells of salvation God graciously provides to become stopped up through our own spiritual neglect? If so, then you need to make sure that you dig your well before you're thirsty. And to make sure that you always keep striving as you hunger and thirst for righteousness to make sure you will be filled. And if you ever strive to do so, you will be filled. Matthew 5 verse 6. I want to close with this little story. It's a story of a, a father and a son. And the father and son loved to gather up paintings and collect paintings. And they had done a fabulous job. And they actually had a room set up in their house. And they would go in and they would admire these paintings on the wall. They had Rembrandts, Picassos. And the father and the son would always go in, drink coffee, and discuss these things. Then the son was drafted into the war. The father went in to those, that room by himself many times, but after a while, it was just hard for him to go in without the son. And then one day, he gets a knock at the door, and this, he comes to the door, and there's two soldiers at the door. And they informed him that his son had been killed in battle. Well, from that time forth, the father could not dare even go into that room because of the remembering of the son in the time that they had in that room. Until months later, there was another knock at the door. It was another soldier. And he had a package in his hand. The soldier said, sir, you don't know who I am, but I have a gift for you. And the father took that gift and he unwrapped it, and it was a portrait painted of his son. He says, sir, you don't know who I am, but your son always talked about how you love for him and you to go into this room and admire those paintings. And he, I said, one day we sat down and I actually painted this. He said, it's not the best, but I want to tell you something about your son. Your son was carrying me to safety when a bullet struck his heart and he died immediately. Because of you... Because of your son, I survived. And he brought that soldier in, and they went into that room, and they were admiring those, those paintings, and they laughed, and they cried, and he stayed for a while, but then the soldier had to leave. He had to return. Some time had passed, and that father died. There was no one to take the estate, so they started to auction it off, and they wanted to start with the paintings. Well, people gathered from all around because there were Picassos and Rembrandts. I mean, there were some expensive things in there. And they started with the auction. They started with the portrait of the son. The auctioneer started. He said, does anybody give me $10 for the, for the painting of the son? $10 for the son. Who would take the son? People were saying, come on, get rid of, get rid of that thing. We want the Rembrandts. We want the Picassos. We want to see the good stuff. The son, the son. Who would take the son? Ten dollars. Who would take the son? 
Get on with it. We don't want that stuff. Will anybody take the sun? Until a gardener said, I'll give you $10 for it. Sold for $10. The the gardener came up to get the painting. And the auctioneer put his hammer up and he closed the, the little case. He said, this auction is closed. They said, what do you mean this auction is closed? We want to see the Rembrandts and the Picassos. He said, oh, I'm sorry. He said, but there was a stipulation in this auction. And that simply was, he who takes the sun gets everything. Brethren, are you hungering and thirsting after righteousness? If not, why not? And if you are, continue because you will be filled. But one thing is for certain, and it even applies today. He who takes the Son will get everything. And tonight, if you're outside of Christ, be baptized for the remission of sins. Hear, believe, repent. Make that great confession and put him on in baptism, having those sins washed away, Acts 22, 16, Acts 2, 38. But if you've left your first love, then tonight you come back home as together we stand and we sing our invitation song.